Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. You win some, you lose some. Sometimes you get the bear, sometimes the bear gets you. And this, my personal favorite, sometimes you cast your bread upon the waters and all you get is soggy bread. Well, however you say it, what's true is in just about every endeavor of life, there's bound to be some rejection from time to time. But that's no reason to give up. That's the title and the subject of today's message, which is based on the story of Jesus' experience with rejection, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. Actually, you know, it was a rather remarkable turn of events, don't you think? Jesus is at his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he is, in fact, the guest preacher. It's, it's, it's arguably one of the very first sermons he's ever delivered, and certainly the first one to be delivered in such a, 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 an important place as the synagogue. Now, the custom in those days not entirely unlike our own custom today, was for the rabbi to stand before those gathered, read the scripture for the day, and perhaps offer a few words to elucidate the text. And what a text it is. Isaiah's soaring vision of the Spirit of God bringing good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives, and freedom to the oppressed. And suffice to say that the people were loving it. And seriously, what was not to love? This was Jesus, after all. Someone who had already gained some fame as an itinerant preacher. And was rumored to have done some pretty amazing things, particularly over in Capernaum. And not only that, not only that, This was Joseph and Mary's boy. So everybody was there that day and knew it was going to be something special. And all spoke well of him. And they didn't even seem to mind his proclamation that this year of Jubilee uh, or, or, or this announcement that he was the fulfillment of everything he had to say. But then something shifted. Who knows how or why exactly. Maybe Jesus could see that the people were expecting something from him that they weren't going to get. Maybe a little miracle, perhaps. Or could be that the people weren't completely attuned to what Jesus was talking about uh, regarding spiritual anointment or, or the year of Jubilee. Or maybe Jesus was simply, as all preachers are wont to do from time to time, maybe he was just stirring the pot just a little bit. All we know now is that suddenly this once adoring, fawning hometown crowd became a mob filled with rage. And they literally drove Jesus out of town to the edge of a cliff where their intention was to toss him into the sea. Luckily, somehow, Jesus passed through the midst of them and went on his way. From adoration to rejection 
All in the space of what? A few minutes? Like I say, it was a rather remarkable turn of events. But trust me here, friends. Sometimes in preaching, as in most worthwhile endeavors in life, sometimes rejection goes with the territory. Once, some years ago, while serving a prior parish, I was approached by an elderly, long-retired pastor who asked me if I might please let him come to our church and preach from my pulpit on an upcoming Sunday morning. The man went on to explain that he'd grown up in the church, that it was in that church that he'd heard the call to ministry as a youth, and in fact, this was the church where he had preached his very first sermon years before. Eventually, he'd been ordained to the Christian ministry, and he had had, in fact, a long and distinguished career as a pastor. But he hadn't been home in years. And now he and his wife were returning for a high school class reunion. And so, and very kindly and very humbly, asked if he could possibly, if I would allow him at this point so late in his life to be granted the great honor and privilege of standing in that amazing pulpit one last time to preach the word of God. And of course, I mean, how do you say no to something like that? Well, a few weeks later, the day came, and, uh, and this extremely sweet and kind gentleman of faith stood up in the pulpit to deliver the day's message. Now, truthfully, let's set the stage here. So many years had passed that, honestly, there were very few in the congregation, save for a few remaining classmates, who would have even remembered this man having grown up in the church. But it was a small town, and in small towns, they recognized the family name, right? And they certainly knew of his strong reputation as a pastor and preacher. So we had pretty much a full church, and they'd come that morning eager, excited about what this native son of the congregation had to say. And as I recall it now, his sermon was pleasant. It was rich and eloquent. It was well delivered. It was biblically sound. And I remember from my vantage point in the choir loft, looking out into the congregation and seeing everybody in the pews there nodding their heads and smiling. And moreover, you could tell that this preacher of his was having a wonderful time. I get that. He was back at his home church. He was delivering the sermon. In a word, it was great. Until. Until all of a sudden, maybe half to two-thirds of the way through the sermon, everything changed. In fact, I can tell you the exact moment when everything changed. It was when this sweet, kindly pastor raised up his preacher's voice, shook his fist in the air to declare the evils of a greedy, faithless nation that was, and I quote, of the corporation, by the corporation, and for the corporation. We remember this. 
And it went on from there. For the next 10 minutes or so, the congregation heard one of the most angry, raucous, politically charged, fire and brimstone sermons I've ever heard, at least in person. And one that I can tell you that likely had never, ever been heard in that particular congregation. I remember looking out again into the congregation, and now I was seeing jaws dropping all over the pews. Suffice to say, in the days that followed, I got a whole lot of phone calls, emails, personal visits to my office that basically amounted to two questions. The first being, what was that all about? And the second being, what were you thinking letting him speak from that pulpit? But as I think about it now, friends, it wasn't that the sermon was bad. And it wasn't that he was wrong. Oh, quite the opposite, in fact. It was truly, I suspect, just the abrupt change in tone for an unprepared congregation. And, and ultimately, it was the inconvenient truth of the gospel. Now, I should add here something. That I found out that this man had been in the forefront of the civil rights movement and working to integrate many of the congregations that he served. This was during the 60s and into the, well into the 70s. But in speaking truth to power, not to mention speaking truth to the local church leaders, he'd also gotten a great deal of trouble with many of those congregations to the point where it sort of hastened his departure from those congregations, let's just say. It was his wife, as it turned out, who pulled me aside that day and proudly shared all of this with me, as if she knew exactly what was going to happen. And as she explained it, her husband was truly devoted to the gospel message, and he, but he never ever felt like the gospel message was being received the way that it should be, the way that it ought to be, the way that it had to be. And even though quite often that message was rejected, that was no reason to give up. Well, you know, actually, I suspect that that was pretty much what Jesus would have been thinking the morning after that fateful sermon at the Nazareth Synagogue. Quote the Reverend David Sellery, who is an Episcopalian priest and church leader in Connecticut. Jesus fled from the synagogue, he said, but he did not flee from his mission. This momentary rejection was disappointing to him, but not surprising. It would not be his last rejection on the way to Calvary. Jesus was and is human as well as divine. By definition, then, he felt our pain, our frustration, our rejection. But Celery went on to say, as was typical of Jesus, he would give it all back to the Father. He would do so in forgiveness and in sacrificial offering for our redemption. Even as he prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
To put this another way, friends, from the very beginnings of his public ministry, there was a purpose to everything that Jesus said, everything Jesus did, all the teachings that he put forth. There was good news, you see, to be brought to the poor. There was a proclamation of freedom that need to be made to the captives. There was healing for those who were blind. Liberation to be proclaimed to the oppressed. The kingdom of God was at hand. And nothing, neither the rejection of a bunch of hard-hearted locals, nor the hypocrisies of the legalistic temple leadership, nor the status quo of, of the oppressing government, not even the cross was ever going to keep Jesus from bringing forth this life-changing, soul-saving, paradigm-shifting message to the world. That there would be those who would close their eyes to Jesus, who are, or would turn a deaf ear to what he had to say. That there would be those who would actively resent his attempt to bring them change or, or, or perish the thought who would seek to reconcile them to God. Well, none of this was ever any reason for Jesus to give up. Simply, it, rather, it simply led him to redouble his efforts and continue bringing his light into the world to be the fulfillment of prophecy. It's a great story. Actually, in the lectionary that we often follow, it's usually divided into two pieces, but it's interesting to hear it from beginning to end, from the, the wonderful sermon that in the temple to nearly getting thrown off a cliff for his trouble. And by its inclusion in his gospel, Luke wants us to know in this story that even though his reputation soared amongst the people and that by his presence there were miracles and wonders and truth abounding, nonetheless, from the very get-go, as it were, there was always resistance. Resistance to Jesus. Resistance to the radical message of God's kingdom. It was destined from the start to run up against the powers that be, both religious and governmental. I mean, I think that's why so often we do share this story during the season of Epiphany. Because, well, after all, the, the overarching theme of Epiphany is of Christ's light coming into the world. So it only makes sense that we ought to see some of the harshness that that light revealed. All of that is true, I think. But I would also suggest to you this morning that there is more to this than just a recounting of those events and of Jesus' first sermon there in the temple. In fact, I think the story of Jesus' hometown sermon and the subsequent rejection ends up as a reminder to us that as Jesus continued on with his mission, no matter what, the response that he gave to it is one that we too are being called to share. 
We are being called to share the blessing of this new life we've been given through our faith in Jesus the Christ. And we are being called to share that no matter what. And that's a good thing for us to remember, especially about now, especially in the world as we know it. As a Presbyterian pastor and professor by the name of the Reverend Dr. Alan Brem has written, Epiphany, he says, is really a good time to remind ourselves that in Jesus a light has dawned that will never go out. It is a time to reaffirm our hope in the promises of all the good things that God is always working to bring in our lives. It's a time to recognize that the grace of God is emerging all around us, bringing peace and freedom and a fresh start for the least and the lost and the left out. But, he goes on to say, it's also a time to remember that we have received all those blessings of new life for a purpose, not to hoard them, not to, so that we can think of ourselves as special, but to share them with everyone we meet. We are being called to boldly and relentlessly and wholly spread this good news unto the world. Now, I know, I know. We talk a whole lot these days about how the world is not as receptive as hearing this good news from us as perhaps it once was. I seem to recall saying much the same thing myself from this pulpit last Sunday. Often, in fact, because these are the times in which we live. But I'll tell you what, as I learned from that elderly guest preacher so many years ago, is the fact that it gets rejected any reason to give up on it? Is that any reason that we should let go of the notion, the promise we're given that there's light coming into the world and that light banishes the darkness? The hope that justice will prevail? That perfect love does cast out all fear? And for that matter, that the last enemy to be defeated in this world will be death? Does it mean that we're not going to go out there and be strong and courageous and not be terrified, given the rejection of the world that we all hold so dear? It doesn't mean that at all. Just the opposite. We are to be strong and courageous to not be frightened or dismayed the Lord, your, because the Lord your God is with us wherever we go. Joshua 1.9, by the way. Now, perhaps now more than ever, you and I need to double down on the message we've been given. We should renew ourselves for our ministry, for this mission, this great commission, on which we are sent by Jesus himself. And we need to keep on with it because perhaps now more than ever, we need to come to this world. That is to our neighbors, our friends, our children and our grandchildren, our community and our nation 
We need to go to the world. The people who stand in the need of the faith, the hope, and the love that we've been given and which we have been called and empowered to share. It makes a difference. We might not see it right away. Maybe it's not going to be received wholly the way we want or expect, but it makes a difference because, by the way, don't underestimate the power of what we have to give. It's like what the words of that old folk song puts it. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up in its glowing. But that's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. You spread his love to everyone. You want to pass it on. There's no reason for us to give up preaching the gospel, friends. There's no reason for us to be the disciples Jesus has called us to be. There's no reason we shouldn't continue to share the love we've been given, to be the examples of hope and strength and peace and love that the world needs. There's no reason to stop. But every reason that we should continue, boldly and with all due determination, so might it be for us here and now, so might it be. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, No Reason to Give Up. It was recorded during our January the 29th service of worship at East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we invite you to join us in person for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our church, and I know you'll be glad you came. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.